Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Yard Tenders with Mac and Dan. I am Dan, he is Mac. Hello. And this time, so unfortunately, we, because of, you know, some outside sort of circumstances, things are fluid. The situation is fluid. So get out on the front end. Mac and I are not recording uh, physically together at this very moment. We're both recording remotely, making this episode definitely a little bit more tricky. Which is definitely a, I mean, a throwback, right? To to original, like, first, what, like, 12 episodes of, humble of our tenders? Yeah, yes. humble beginning for sure, for sure. Where there's, like a, like, a small, I mean, millisecond of pause that wouldn't be there because we're like, oh, what the... Okay, you're done talking because of the lag, but I I I, th- I think we'll be fine. And um, more than anything, we will be saved by the topic of conversation today, which is not only I I, I think I'm not sure yet because I haven't talked to you yet about it, but I think a very excellent uh show as well as um maybe I mean just a wild wild fucking ride, a wild discussion. Um, so I know last time, well, to, to get to get it out there, I know that we teased uh, our friends Izzy and Hannah joining us. Um, but once again, because of these sort of outside circumstances uh, where uh, I am in a completely different state as well, th- things are just tricky right now. So perhaps we will eventually get to whatever they want to view and review may it be the barbie nutcracker or something else but instead this time mac and i have discussed via text and we have agreed to go over this show called lovecraft country a show that was made in this year 2020 uh developed by misha green and it was uh, premiered and completely done on hbo and it follows a group of African Americans from the south side of Chicago, uh, basically getting uh, roped in, not really by their choice, by a bunch of white people trying to use really powerful magic. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The, yeah, um, people that uh, f- feel like they have come across a section of the Bible because it's it, they're still using Christian terms in Christianity to. Um, find their way into uh, a, a dark magic of sorts, um, but but to them they are just wielding the power of God, um, and a, a lot of it has to do with the Garden of Eden, and that the Garden of Eden isn't actually a place on Earth, but is that there's like a portal to it, and so if they're able to access the Garden of Eden, then they're then then they will have like that's a version of heaven, but it's also a source of power for them. It's it's very strange, kind of hard to explain. But the funny part is that you think that that would be what the entire show was about. But that was just the first episode. Like, that that was so much less than you think. It moves at the pace of a movie, right? I, I agree 100%, but, like, this sort of very tightly knit pacing that the first two episodes, in a way, are sort of, like, really its own story beat, and so it's definitely the first episode kind of sets you up and it de- definitely does make you think, okay, so this is what the show is going to be about, right? This show is going to be about uh, Atticus, uh, the main character, trying to find his father uh, in this county 
this mysterious weird county in Massachusetts. You think the show is going to be about that. And when you look up the show, it says that the show is about that. So when I looked up the description, I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Let's, you know, of course it's called Lovecraft Country. I know love HP Lovecraft in some manner or form is going to be involved in some magical absurdity. But I thought, okay, so the show is going to be about finding Atticus's father. Except they find him in the second episode, and so the plot just kind of goes from there, right? The plot of the whole season is not about finding his father. It's about just this sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but like this next step. There's always a next step, right? And things don't really end. And that's not really harping on the show and because... I think the show paces itself really well that it never feels like, oh, the show should have ended here or, oh, this is how, this is where the show should have ended yeah. uh, or how it should have ended. I think it does a really good job of just giving you enough information and enough stakes and enough sort of character that it makes you want to keep going and the story keeps going going so you feel rewarded as the viewer throughout the experience. Yeah, I I, I think there's also something to be said about the um uh it doesn't actually finish. Like the, every single time that a storyline is com- is starting to come to an end or it feels like they're about to be done. It feels like the they're about to reach the end of their journey. All of a sudden, something else happens. And it's not that it finishes and they're like, oh, finally we can relax. And then something happens. It's that before they can even get to the relaxing part, they're like, okay, so this is about to be the last thing, correct? This is about to be the last thing? Okay, fine. And then they do the thing. And in the middle of the thing, that's when that's when the, the, the next step reveals itself. Um, so I, I think it also has to do with the the fact that it never truly tells you that it's done it just tells you that's about to be done and then it's not it's i think it's the other side of the coin if you were to compare this show to the last show that we discussed berserk where in berserk everything goes right all the time except the very end as opposed to this show it constantly feels like nothing is going really right right for these characters so really the whole time it's just like it sees a bunch of smaller issues that the characters are trying to constantly solve and they do solve, but they just lead to more and more problems, right? And so we see at the end of the second episode that, oh, it seems like who we thought was the main antagonist, he was taken care of. He died in this, uh, not religious ceremony, this magical ceremony. And so okay, so things should be over, right? But never, never are they actually over. Um, yeah, which is very frustrating. But, but also, you're, I love your point about the way in which they take wins. Um, I loved your, your, uh, your point about that because it does, it, it does kind of remind me of the purpose behind the show and where the show came from and and who made the show right because at the end of the day it is very exciting it's an adventure it is lovecraft it is um magic it's all all this all this wild story but it's it's not only an allegory but it's literally about 
racism. It's literally about the black experience in America um, uh, 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 right, right around this time in the 50s. Um, so I think it makes sense that the only versions of wins that you ever see any character take all the way up until the very end is just staying alive. The only wins that they ever get is, and it's not even like, oh, I defeated the bad guy, or oh, I got the blah, blah, blah. No, it's just staying alive because everything else is lost along the way. Um, One thing that stuck with me about this show, uh, it's it felt like there was a sort of theme of nothing is as it seems, right? I think a really good example of such is... There's an episode that is largely focused on Hippolyta, where she... <laughs> it's so absurd talking about it. Um, but she enters this sort of portal through this machine. This portal then gets her to this, like, alien. And this alien, I, from what I understand, grants her the ability where she can, like, dimension hop and time hop and be whoever she wants to be, right? And so the first thing she wants to be is to dance alongside Josephine Baker in France. And it's it comes with all this excitement and oh my god I'm on the stage and I'm with I mean I'm with Josephine Baker that's amazing and then eventually it becomes this sort of disillusionment where oh like Josephine Baker is great but for uh, Hippolyta kind of views it like this that the man the white man the white individuals are still find this loophole find a way to keep their view of the animal that is black individuals and through the case of Josephine Baker it's dancing and dancing on these shows and everyone at the very end of these shows lifting up their tops right to to show their torsos and even though like Hippolyta it fills her with a lot of joy to be on the stage for those moments it comes with the realization of, like, what is this win actually? Like, it's a little bit of a win, right? As we were saying, these characters go through little bits of wins, but then it provides an even, even bigger question of, like, okay, but what was this actually about, right? Another case of Ruby, uh, one of the characters, getting a job at the department store, but that job she only gets because she disguises herself with a potion as a white woman, and she gets the job, and it's sort of just like, what is this? You know, who am I actually? And so that dream of getting that job is immediately soiled by the experience that surrounds it. Yes. The What would you say... Um... What would you say about the uh, the individual episodes? Was there any individual episode that stuck out to you um, specifically in terms of, um, I, I guess just, uh, I guess this kind of reminds me of like a, an, an acting exercise we used to do um, that I also have taken into directing and playwriting as well, just because it's a very useful thing to do at the beginning, like whenever you're at the beginning of a process, right? And, 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 and you all read this, the, the script of the play for the first time. Um, and, uh, uh, one of our old acting professors was talking about this and he was like, so 
after you read the play, what's the very first thing that you remember? Like if I say, oh yeah, if I, if I say the name of the play, what's the very first thing that comes to mind based on what you just saw? So whenever I say Lovecraft Country, because when did you finish this, yesterday? I finished this show yesterday, yes. It took me about a week or so on and off, right? I'm, I watched maybe like an episode a day or two episodes a day, and yesterday I watched like the final three or four episodes just to really finish it and have a day for it to uh, sort of marinate yeah. with me. But yes, I finished the show yesterday. So, okay, perfect. So, so, so now that you've finished the show, what is the episode that you think of, or a moment even, that you think of whenever I say Lovecraft Country? The sort of moments that I think of, and this is kind of like my biggest takeaway of the show, is that the plot, it, it, it's weird, because the plot itself is really interesting. Whenever you have these sort of characters that go into the unknown, right, and characters that are relatable, characters that you know, characters that you see, the, when they go into the unknown, that alone is interesting. Doubly so if the unknown is magically inspired, in this case by Lovecraft. So it's crazy scary and just absolutely insane, right? But the moments that I take away a lot is when I take a step back from the show, uh, viewing it, and then I'm like, this is really strange. Like, these people... These individuals are in a room yelling at each other about magic. Like, it's funny to just look at it through this lens because these are very, very real people because the acting is so, so incredible. But just the crazy takeaways that I have is the sort of absurd moments that go on that happen to these very real people and I think a big reason why they feel so real is because of the writing of the individual characters as well as just the acting performances primarily um, by the principal cast like Jonathan Majors and Journey Smollett. I, I hope I pronounced their names correctly. That's the biggest takeaway that I had from the show. And so, yeah, so much of it was just silly, but I was still hooked in. I never really fully got out because the writing within the plot and the acting was, I thought, superb. Yeah, there, there was something about it that was uh, enticing because it, was, it took itself so seriously, right? There, there are so many um, stories that involve magic that, that, that always are a little self-aware, you know? Like, like even Harry Potter, right? There's a little bit of Harry Potter that is aware of itself that will make fun of itself from time to time. Um, and all of the, uh, all of the, um, magic stories that I can think of that take themselves really seriously, uh, don't take place on earth necessarily. Um, so the fact that it is a, um, it, it is, it is a story about magic that wants to take itself seriously, 100% seriously, and also... Um, is honestly shot more like a kitchen sink drama than anything else, I think really um, sets it apart and makes it really special. Um, and I think there's no two better people to have um, produced this and put their hands on it and guide the process than J.J. Abrams and Jordan Peele. That is a match made in 
fucking heaven. Oh, like the second I heard, I didn't even need to know what the story was about. The second I heard those two names, I was like, I trust it. I, I trust what's about to happen. I will watch it as soon as possible. I was thrilled. Are, are, are you very familiar? I know that you're familiar with Lovecraft, which I want to talk about once we come back from break, but you're familiar with Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams? I, I've only like seen some of their works. Right. And so from Jordan Peele, like I've seen get out and I've seen some of his skits from mad TV and, and, uh, key and Peele. Right. And then from JJ Abrams, like I've seen a few of the newer star Trek movies and star Wars films. So I kind of like understand their sort of work. Right. But it makes perfect sense because at least from what I've seen from Jordan Peele, it's like these very fascinating character studies where also these characters, very real people, go through these struggles where you also have J.J. Abrams who has the ability to tell these grandiose stories, these fantastical stories that you can't help but feel just visually even impressed by the grand scope of it all. Um, and I think that definitely is reflected in this show where you're always going to remember the moments where, you know, the monster appears and it tears out a limb of one of the, the, the cops, right? You're always, that's always going to be burned in your mind, right? But this show becomes really impactful because of that kitchen sink drama sort of thing, where even though the plot, right, the plot of the show and what's going on is relatively important, it's just, at the same time, a sort of backdrop on these characters. And the characters are, I think, definitely held in a higher regard from a dramatic storytelling perspective, but I think that it works in this case, that you're still able to follow the plot, and so it, there's a good amount of focus on that, but you definitely cherish the characters more, and I kept watching the show because I kept thinking to myself, I want to see what happens to these characters, right? Not so much what happens in the story. I'm curious about the story. I'm curious about where the story goes, but I want to see what happens to these peel people. Did you have, <laughs> not to these peel, not to these banana to, to, peels, to not these, to these Jordan, peels. Jordan peels, right? Uh, did you have a similar experience in that vein at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I would say that I I I thought Jonathan Majors was the runaway best best actor for me, um, best performance, which is good because he was the 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 main character. Um, yeah. Uh, I I thought honestly that I can't really think of a I can't think of a bad spot in terms of the acting at all. Um. But actually, my me and my dad were talking about it because he he was the person that originally suggested this to me, um, and my entire family's watched it at this point. Not together because that would be so uncomfortable. But, um, but uh, he was he was talking to me about it, and he was like, you know, I, I he was like, well, first of all, it's still shocking to me to see all these things because there hasn't been one, um a black hero and a black family that that's that the story revolves around for a very long time. And he was like, so growing up as a guy like that was mainly growing up in the eighties, that's, 
a huge deal for me still. That's weird to see. And he was like, and another big one is black people in horror movies and horror, uh, and, and horror stories. And I was like, oh, I haven't really thought about that because that, that, that hasn't really been like super forward in my mind like as I was growing up. But for him, he's like, that just doesn't exist. That, that's not something that I've ever seen before. And I was like, oh, I forgot that that's, that that's relatively new. Um, so that was cool. But another thing we're talking about that I think might be even more interesting is that there is um, uh, so often they'll get I, – I, I can think of so many shows or so many movies that have really famous white people casts right? And they're amazing actors that are that, uh, and they're supposed to be supporting um, black actors in a, in, in a story about black people. Um, and it's always kind of weird because you're like, well, first of all, the actors are like really freaking good. And so you're, you're kind of blown away by all the white performances, but also they're just so overwhelmingly famous that it feels kind of dumb. You know what I mean? Um, so like 12 Years a Slave is probably the best example um, where it's supposed to be a story that like really revolves around these slaves. And I mean, it's in the title, but then you have like Brad Pitt walk in or like Benedict Cumberbatch and you're like, I can't take this seriously anymore. This Michael is dumb. Fassbender. Yeah. Michael Fassbender. Exactly. Michael Fassbender. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and so, so it was kind of refreshing, not kind of very refreshing to see a uh, to to see that there was such a respect and such a um, such a focus on the black actors of the cast and making sure that those performances were the ones that were paid the most attention to in terms of the process and that were the best the the absolute best if i was going to rank the best performances that, that for, from this show for me personally it would go the entire black cast and then i would start with like with with the white cast and not necessarily like oh yeah it, it, it's great that the black people were better than the white people no 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 i'm just saying that i can tell and it's very obvious that those were the characters and those were the moments that were paid more attention to and i loved that and and that those were the actors that were probably paid quite a bit more that's that's really nice to see you know what i mean absolutely um so many individuals from this cast just take it away um and in the case of somebody like michael kenneth williams who plays montrose freeman who is the main character's dad that they find in the second episode um (laughs) it, it I I mean I haven't seen him in a leading role per se. Uh I don't know I haven't seen The Wire. I don't know what his role is in that. But I just haven't I've always seen him as a sort of side character in movies and be an excellent actor in those. So it was I think in his case, for example, I mean, such a nice treat. And his character had so much depth in what uh, he was going through, both like relationship-wise uh, with his son, with his brother, and with himself, that I am so glad 
that the show was set in this way. It deserves to be set in this way. I think we should celebrate that it is set in this way. Um, because from, from also from a storytelling perspective, it definitely raises the stakes on these characters because not only are they having to deal with these white individuals that practice magic, but they're also living in 1950s America where racism is so high. And it not only does it raise the stakes, but you get this beautiful representation and storytelling that has long been overdue and deserved. And we finally get more perspective. And perspective not only for the times, but also in the manner of this story. Um, I mean, absolutely. Um, I, I would like to, when we come back, talk about specific performances that what, what we liked about them go a little deeper. You know, that you, you know how the deep dive works. I know um, the drill. You know the drill. Uh, with that, as well as your relationship with Lovecraft. And we will do that once we hear a word from our sponsor. Hello and welcome back to the Art Tenders with Mac and Dan. Uh, so while we were in the break, um, Danny used a phrase, dingle the carrot. I don't, I, I wanted to bring it up because I don't think it's real. <laughs> I wanted to say it then, but I was like, this is, this is podcast worthy. Um, that's not a real fucking phrase, Danny. There's no uh, way. I'm, I'm going to look it up to prove you wrong. Yeah, look up dingle the carrot. I bet I, 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 will, I will have found different research by the time I, I I really don't think that there's a world in which dingle the carrot because also that would have to be American and there's no way an American in the past 200 years has said the phrase dingle the carrot ever was there a place that you got that phrase Danny uh, whenever I think of the phrase dangle a carrot, um, there is an item, I hate this, there's an item in Minecraft that's literally a carrot on a fishing rod, and so oh if you find yourself able to mount a pig, you know, you put a saddle on a pig, you get on the pig, you pull out this item, then because you have the carrots dangling in front of the pig, you are able to lead the pig in any direction that you'd like. Um, also, the idiom... 100% exists. You can find it on idioms.thefreedictionary.com. Uh, dangle <laughs> a carrot in front of someone means to try to entice one with the promise of a reward. This is a true phrase, McKeon Wayne Welch. I'm so mad. I, I hate, I hate that phrase. But anyway, um, that's just one to me. Sorry. So I'm just going to come out and say it. The... Um, this is the best series of all time. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, the, the, I was, I was going to say, I'm going to come out and say it. I asked that question earlier where I was like, was there a specific episode that really comes to mind whenever you think about this show? Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And um, I was asking that as bait. I wanted you to ask it back to me, so I'm going to answer now. The, Perfect. The, <laughs> for me, the biggest one, landslide, is uh, Jigabobo. Ooh. Episode eight, that that shit haunted me, no joke, to the point where that like ruined my week. I like that entire because because I watched this about a month ago maybe, 
the entire week after I watched that episode, everyone around me had to hear about it every day, nonstop, because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Speci- uh, ma- mainly because the they, they show all the scary characters in such different settings that no matter where I went, it resembled slightly a setting that we saw the, the, the monsters in. But also because it's genuinely, I think, one of the most terrifying, maybe one of the most terrifying images I can think of. Um, yeah, I, I'm assuming you know which monsters I'm talking about. Uh, yes, you are referring to, I forgot, uh, Topsy and Bopsy is what they're called. Th- those are their names? Topsy and Bopsy uh, comes from oh, yeah. like the cover of a rendition of not a rendition but a print of uncle tom's cabin um and it's just these horrifying two little girls with these really long nails and their hair is um kind of up i don't know how to how to describe it but the uh the spiky hair from the mies on the nintendo wii um <laughs> with, wow yeah 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 with, with little bows on each end but i think and with and with makeup that sort of incites the um minstrels right where uh white individuals would play as black individuals uh, on stage and put this put blackface makeup and have big red lips and so the makeup on these girls incites that uh but i think for me what also makes that episode so terrifying is one thing that always messes me up uh from storytelling is like innocence and where and when we see innocence destroyed and I think one of the more terrifying things about this episode, alongside the just horrifying but excellently done sound design, and yeah. just kind of how freaky these two uh, Topsy and Bopsy are, what messes me up about this episode is that it 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 this curse right? It's it Topsy and Bopsy chases after. Diana, who is not involved in in like any of the events that these characters go through and is forced to go through it because the the captain of the Chicago police force finds her and curses her because yeah. her mother accidentally left a comic that uh, the daughter wrote, Diana wrote, at like a sort of crime scene at the sort of uh, machine portal device. And the captain finds it and curses this poor little girl. And I think what makes it so terrifying is that she can never get away from these things. Right. And nobody can help her. And she feels, and we see it, that she feels so incredibly alone, even when she seeks help. Yeah. Yeah. That that, that someone was literally hugging her it, it was um it was tick's dad uh, uh montrose. montrose freeman was literally hugging her holding her and that made it worse him being there for her made it work because another big thing is that these monsters that are chasing her no one can see them except for her so whenever she, so she sees them attacking her and they are actually attacking her um it like like it, at least her her body is taking the actual hits right but she is 
but 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 she's the only one that sees them. So everyone around her is constantly like, "Oh my gosh, she's going crazy. She's going psycho. Like poor girl, she's gone mental and like is holding her, trying to stop her from hurting herself because she keeps like swinging bats and like knives and stuff." But she's getting attacked because they're. It, it's so sad. It's sad. It's also terrifying. Uh, yeah, I I. Oh, the, the the dances, the dances, get me good. Oh my goodness gracious! I I I, I did want to talk about though. You said something about how amazing the sound design was. I want to go into detail a little bit about that. Do 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 you mean the um the the sound choices or do you mean the actual design of the sound? Yes, I mean right on. Both. Um, okay, cool. I think it's 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 I mean it's a combination of how the sound was implemented right where we hear this track again and again um I can't recall the track's name uh unfortunately but it's some the lyrics are something along the lines of stop that knocking stop that knocking stop that knocking and it's this like yeah. this um sort of like that you keep hearing and it's a sort of motif that goes on and so like it it's not so much I mean the characters Topsy and Bopsy those monsters they are terrifying but I I I think it's so it's much more terrifying because of what Diana lovingly known as D throughout the show what D has to go through right I think that I mean to me still that that's what makes it so terrifying um and so with the sound choices with that motif constantly playing, right? You hear that song the first time, and you're like, oh, you already understand, like, okay, this is the jingle that's going to go with Topsy and Bopsy, right? But by, like, the final time you hear it, you're like, dear God, make it stop, please. Just yeah, please truly, truly. It stop. It's just harrowing. Was there ever a moment that you were, like, actually scared? Like, your blood pressure was high, you were, like, not shaking necessarily, but but you saw because it's very very difficult for me personally to watch a horror movie, and this is actually sometimes why I watch horror movies or or TV shows. There's that. Did you hear that? There's something right deep down that that I want to um I want to have a physical embodiment of the terror like it, it's one thing to be psychologically like man that's a very scary concept and it's another thing to for my blood pressure to be high for my heart rate to to increase to to start sweating to feel the terror you know what i mean and in in, in jigabobo i i felt that for sure so i'm wondering was there ever any time in the entire series where you felt the physical ramifications of the story uh i i felt the physical ramifications of the story i I think jacobobo was a good example where i I think it's both you see success in storytelling when not only do you feel for the character but you feel with the character and when you get both it's fantastic you get that in jacobobo when you're feeling for d uh for d and you're like please god please don't have these terrible things happen to her and also you're feeling in the moment because these things are also just as unknown to you as it is to d and we don't Mm -hmm. get uh too much 
character from the other characters in this episode. And what really, I mean, we get a little bit, but what really leaves you the impression is Dee's journey. And so uh, a scene that sticks with me is when Dee kind of approaches Letty, kind of asking for her help. Letty is the female lead of the show. And Letty just kind of shoves Dee off. She just like brushes her off her shoulder and just walks off. And so awful to feel alone in that moment and you feel alone with D. Uh, I couldn't yeah. tell you how specifically the show does it. Um, I mean, I think, I think a big thing is sort of just having the cinematography follow D in that sense of a lot of close-up shots on her and you're really only getting D's perspective. Um, but I yeah. felt um, a sort of a lot of emotional payoff I would say in the second to last episode, Rewind 1921, where um, I don't know how to describe it, but there's <laughs> there's something very video gamey, and I sent you in the text, but there's something very video yeah. gamey about like we're about to approach the final level, but before the final level, we must go back to where it all started. Like it's such yeah. a, it's to me, it's such a video game trope, but I think it really works out well here. Um, where you have these characters experience, um, past family members events that happened in Tulsa during the riots and awful, awful. And we see, Montrose's friend from when he was younger gets shot right in front of him and we have to he has to relive that experience and then we live that experience for the first time and I think this show really strikes an emotional chord in that moment um, because I feel like you understand so much about Montrose in that one singular moment when his friend is shot right in front of him. Um, so you, you emotionally are stuck right in your traps. And so you definitely could say Montrose is not a good father because he isn't. And for a good amount of the show, I it's arguable that he's not that good of a human being. But yeah. you can't help but feel so much for him and feel so much not only sympathy um but this this great amount of pity that just burns your heart to the core and it keeps replaying in your head and just that image of Montrose not being able to do anything um and it really plays into the theme of the show which is like so many of these characters for so much of the time, although they're able to find moments of agency and moments where they're able to make a change. We also find so many moments where they're not able to do anything and sort of fate has already set its course and society and, and what's going on in the world around them has already set the course for them that they're forced to follow it. And right. in that aspect, that is uh, a sort of thematic storytelling where we can all empathize at a base level. Um, and I think the show does an excellent job in executing that. Yeah, well, 
was there ever a moment that you can think of where you called bullshit? Where you were like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I buy this. Maybe in terms of performance, but also maybe in terms of uh, story, where they went a certain place with a store where you were like, you know, I was willing to buy into a whole lot, but all of a sudden you hit me with this and it feels like I got hit with a freight train and I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm kind of off the wagon right now. Two things I want to tackle with. Um, yeah. That I'm, I'm just going to try to like, pip, pip, pip with both of them, right? Where this is this one is ties in, tied into my sizzle surf, which is that first of all, my favorite episode and I think it's the best episode and I also think it is the episode that should be cut from the show along with the character is Meet Me in Daegu. Where That's your least favorite? That is my favorite episode. I Okay, also, I was about to say the same. It is also my favorite episode. But I also feel that that episode and I think Gia's character should have been cut from the show. Even though I love the storytelling in that one episode. I get what you I mean. But I couldn't help but feel that her implementation into the overall the narrative way. was clunky. She was very out of the way. Yeah. There, 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 and, and also, there wasn't a whole lot that she contributed. I agree. It, okay, here we go. Here we go. This is, this is what it felt like. Um, it felt like because because she because she her she's important eventually, right? Yes, she plays she, she plays she, I mean, a big part in sort of uh. Yeah, I, I she guess, she goes and helps defeat fates. I guess I, I don't know how to. But but she also goes and goes and uh, she, but she, yeah she she defeats um Abby Lee. She helps defeat Christina Braithwaite, played by Abby Lee, which we'll get to. And, Sorry. Yeah. Um, by uh, some it's magical stuff that requires a lot of explanation and it's hard to really explain what's really happening right so it felt like it felt like everyone else's characters were written from beginning to end and it felt like gia's character was written from end to beginning you know what i mean it felt like the end they needed her you know what i mean i'm nodding my head vigorously they needed her at the end to be a specific thing, and then they were like, well, but we don't want her to be out of the way. We don't want it to be like a plot device, so let's give her a character. And then they decided to give her a backstory. And it's like, no, 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 That's so out of the way. So out of the way. And, and they dropped her name a couple times, and they dropped her quite a few times with the phone calls, right, with, with Tick early on. But it didn't feel like... Ah yes, the story is moving in a natural direction. It felt like that's out of the way. That's kind of bullshit. Yeah, I I agree with you. And she was so good, and that was the best episode. I agree. Uh, Jamie Chung brings a beautiful performance, but I definitely felt like in the final episode, um, <laughs> all the characters drive off and face off against the final boss, right? And so I yeah. couldn't help but like, it didn't feel like Gia belonged and it wasn't because she was korean like no but it was because <laughs> i don't think her character was implemented well to the overall narrative and so i absolutely yeah. agree with the sentiment that her character was written from end uh to beginning even though her episode was the best one and it has this absolutely beautiful arc and to the point yeah. i was like i'm also interested in watching a show about this but i also yes. had the experience of i don't think this properly 
Now, I, I shouldn't say belong in this show, but I didn't think it aided this show. I'm um, kind of mad that wasn't a movie. I'm kind of with you there, too. I'm kind of with you there, too. Gia should get her own shit. She deserves more than that. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, it, 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 I like, I enjoyed the fact that she had her own episode, but it was still so clear how much that, uh, that character was on the back burner. Um, because when she is introduced to the later episodes and like physically there in the space with other characters, yeah, it, she just feels like a total sort of aside. She is an aside and, uh, definitely feels in the final moments of the show she is a plot device to help put a nice bow Big time. on it, which is disappointing because I think I still think that her character alone is fascinating and interesting and one of my favorites and beautifully performed. But in the in the story, it hurts. Right. W- were there any times for you throughout the series uh, where? you just wanted to give the most crisp high five to the people writing the show. Were, were there any moments where you were like, that's just genius? Um, I think the show achieves its genius by, we said in the first part, uh, you first is, is that the, uh, the, I think you called it the, the kitchen sink drama, right? Yeah. Um, that I, I want to celebrate so much that, this show still puts a large focus on its principal characters, making it about these African-American individuals as it should and having them play such an important role as well as having the relationships between these characters be more important than the crazy plot itself. I want to commend True. That. But I also... That's a very good way of putting it. I want to really fast say I did not like Abby Lee's performance as Christina Braithwaite, who is basically like the main white character in the show. She is essentially the antagonist. Um, Because I think through the writing, I think we were supposed to kind of feel for Christina Braithwaite that she is in this sort of like morally gray zone kind of. But I found... Abby Lee's performance, honestly, to be so lackluster that um, I was only interested in her character because yeah. of what the plot had in store for her character, as opposed to every other character where I was fully fascinated because of the relationships they had and how they were performed. Um, and I think... I mean, I think Abby Lee completely missed the mark here, yeah. and I think she brings down the show as a whole. Originally, uh, Elizabeth Debicki was supposed to be uh, her um, her character, who Elizabeth has been Debicki. in uh, Tenet, uh, The Great Gatsby, and I think she is a much more fantastic actor, so I, I would prefer watching a show with her. But nevertheless... Um, I was just disappointed by that. But I at the same time, I do really want to commend um, the writers of the show for having their priorities straight. Uh, Mac, um, I, I guess I guess that would be my gold medal. Yeah, insert gold medal sound effect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't um, wait for you to edit that. And and the, a lot um, of that a lot of that goes uh, to to Misha Green 
and the original writer of the, the novel guy. that the the TV show is based on, Matt Ruff. Um, but how, Matt, how much well, do you know about that? How much do I know about the original novel? Because you you talked earlier like you knew Lovecraft and knew what that was. I, like you had an expectation. I had the so I haven't read anything Lovecraftian, but I had the expectation of Lovecraft is this horror novelist from about like a hundred years ago, and he is known for making like Cthulhu, right? And these absurd, crazy, but horrifying monsters and has this sort of like cult following and is remembered because of that. And so I had the expectation of this show is going to be crazy. Um, and yeah. I knew that it was going to be inspired by that sense. But to what degree, I wasn't sure. And from what I could tell, like it finds uh, a lot of inspiration and a lot of love towards Lovecraft's writing. And yeah. even the characters talking about H.P. Lovecraft and his books, but never sort of jumping off the deep end of, you know, putting their noses up his butt and kissing ass. Uh, right, and, and right, feeling right. absurd, like, ooh, look, we're we're smart. We're talking about this book that, you know, um, it's, it, it never felt like um, the writers were overpraising H.P. Lovecraft but just True. had him and his writing set this backdrop that was really well done. Um, but I also, I, I want to hear from you also. What what or who in the show would you give a high five to and in the in the guise of gold medal? In the guise of gold? Um, well, my gold medal sound effect. Um, <laughs> what if instead of a sound effect, we just said sound effect every time? I think we're going to do that instead. So... My gold medal sound effect goes to, um, well, it, it definitely goes to Misha Green, but specifically, the specific uh, little piece that whenever they made references to literature, this was so sick. I mean, I, I just about blew up whenever I noticed this. Every time they make references to literature, which they do often, it's because either... The themes of that episode are the same as the literature they're referring to, or the story parallels the literature they're referring to. Genius. I was like, oh my, because it took me a second, but then I was like, man, they're making a bunch of book references. Like every episode they have, they talk about some random book, and I'm like, why are you doing that? That's so weird. But it is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um... And, and that was really, really exciting for me because um, that was such a nerdy thing to do that I thought was really pulled off very nicely. Um, I mean, and, 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 and it's not just horror either. They, they, they go through a bunch of horror novels. They go through um, uh, African-American like literature that, that's, that's really famous. And poetry um, too. And poetry, yeah. That is... Uh, I mean, the, probably the just about the best use of uh, literature and illusion that I've seen in TV and movies specifically in a very long time. I that enjoyed was huge for me. how the, I agreed that the literature was used to like help solve problems, and so it never felt out of place. 
Um, yeah. We see it primarily in the character George Freeman, who I love. Thank you, Courtney B. Vance. Thank you. Courtney B. Vance killed that. Um, I mean, such a fun, lovable character. Um, but such a good dude. But to like have this character like think through problems, like, wait, I read this before. This is how we're gonna get through this, and and so it never felt out of place because of how these other narratives, either from books or from poetry, whether it be characters using it to solve problems or it being the backdrop thematically, um, perhaps it being read in the background. It, it felt so interwoven in such a beautiful way. Um, and I also, really fast, sort of tangent that stems from George Freeman's character that I wasn't expecting them to kill George Freeman so early. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, in, <laughs> in the second episode. But I think, even though I was like heartbroken because I was like, I want George Fre- more George Freeman. And I still want more George Freeman. But I think the show did an excellent job in uh I, I don't want to say getting rid of but sort of eliminating that character because of how that serves the other characters in the story so you can't help but feel george freeman's presence his aura throughout the rest of the show and you think to yourself and and then the characters say it too like man if george was here we'd be able to solve this problem and we see a lot of these characters hold George in such a high regard. And we understand that just from two episodes because of how special that character was treated in those two episodes and throughout the series, as well as how beautifully performed he was by Courtney B. Vance. Absolutely incredible job by both the writers and the actor, I would say. I I totally agree. Um, Yeah, so I, I, I'd, say, I'd say that... That's the gold medal for me. Um, so, Danny, uh, having watched all of this, what would you say is the final takeaway? What would you say is the um, – what, 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 what would you give to the listener uh, in terms of wanting to uh, – the, the, a person wanting to watch this or not wanting to watch this? This is a classic case of you go in for the story and you stay for the characters. Um, yeah. I, this is not the best show I've seen, but it's certainly one of the more creative. Yeah. Uh, and I think the storytelling finds moments to be impactful uh, while still having this magical backdrop, but also this incredibly real backdrop. And so I think a lot of joy can be seen from the show if you were to watch it and find these and look at and study the blend with the backdrop of the 1950s America and the magical nature heavily inspired by H.P. Lovecraft and how those two things culminate together. Not only is that impressive, but having the characters still be the most important part, I think, is just a treat alone to watch. Like I said, not one of my favorite shows, but if you want to watch 10 episodes of really detailed and overall really smart uh, sort of character writing, I would 100% give this show a shot. What is your yeah. takeaway? 
I agree with that. Awesome character study. Um, I, I, I would say it like this, personally, that it is, I, I agree, not the greatest show I've ever seen, and not, it's not necessarily one of the best, but I would say that it is probably the least bad show I've seen in a really long time. It's very clean. It's done by freaking professionals. I mean professional. Like every person that touched this was clearly very, very capable. Um, so there was so little that was bad with it. I, uh, other than Abby Lee, in terms of performances, I can't really think of someone that was necessarily bad. I think that everyone else like, was either fantastic or, or did their job. Got paid, um, which is uh, which. To be honest, is really freaking hard to find these days. A bulletproof cast like this, especially um, on a television show, too. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's so much opportunity to to slip up there, and and also on uh, HBO and Amazon, where there's where they just are are fans of taking huge risks that sometimes very often fail. Um, that was that was really Im- impressive to me. If A twenty four was going to produce a TV show, th- this would be it for me. Um, so, yeah, I I, I think that'd be my my um, my 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 takeaway. Um, so, what are we? Or I guess what's the situation next week? There is a possibility that we'll be able to record with our friends Izzy and Hannah. Perhaps it'll be Barbie Nutcracker. <laughs> Or or something else. Um, We do not know. Like I said, the situation is fluid, and we shall be fluid with the situation. We are just birds riding the wind, and that is our purpose. That is our dream, and that is the reality. So, if we do not record with those two wonderful individuals, then we also have on the docket a different kind of character study because I've become a lot more interested in characters that should polarize each other but instead are magnetized towards one another. It was a movie that I've seen that I saw recently and I really want to discuss it with you because of the character study. And it fulfills that sort of similar to uh the dynamic of Guts and Griffith from Berserk. And it's a movie from 2012 called The Master that stars Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I don't want to give anything else from that movie. It's just a really interesting character study. And I am fascinated by the sort of potential to the conversation that that movie has to offer. So I look forward to discussing that with you, Mac, whenever we can. <laughs> whether it be this next week or the week after um well i am a hoe for philip seymour hoffman so i'm absolutely thrilled to uh to 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 watch that um thank you so much danny thank you for a lovely conversation and thank you to the listeners anything else danny that'll be it cheers